1: Welcome to Strange Familiars. If you've seen something strange, something paranormal, like a cryptid, a ghost, a UFO, and you want to share your story, you can email us, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com. How are you doing, Allison?
2: Yeah, I'm doing fine. (laughs) That is totally not true. (laughs) Well, I'd like to say for anybody who might be listening that this is not going to be, we'll even mention the C or the V word. This is the closest we're getting. This is total distraction day, and I'm very happy about that.
1: <laughs> it's hard not to mention it. We're all in the same place, really. In- I know, but I don't want to mention it anymore. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know, but everybody's in the same place. And like I said, we're going to try to do extra content for everybody. So,
2: And honestly, the the times that I'm feeling the best are when I'm Engaged in a project like this, or doing research for the for something for myself, or for uh, for the podcasts, it feels good to be creative and productive and
1: distracted. Absolutely. So I hope everybody's safe and healthy. So in tonight's show, we're going to be talking with Eric. It's the first of two shows. I decided to group these two shows together because I did these interviews back to back, two nights in a row, and these guys they didn't know each other, mm-hmm. and they had these kind of similar stories about growing up and seeing these things and they both talked about witches. We'll be talking with Eric tonight and Josh will be on the next episode. Eric's story, however, covers these creepy things that were happening around his neighborhood when he was little, these shadow figures and a three-fingered man that was like knocking on kids' windows and asking to be let in.
2: I love how in some way this is a comforting distraction from reality. (laughs) (laughs) Like right now, if you told me I could trade up Between having a flannel man experience and all of this stuff being over, I'd be like, yeah, I'd go for another flannel man. (laughs) I know. And I just bought the monkey's paw. and
1: (laughs) The strangest thing Eric talks about are these figures that he sees on his friend's bed or his friend's parent's bed that come up out of the sheets. It's really, really weird and really strange. He
2: wasn't at his own home and he saw something like that. He
1: wasn't. And I've never heard anything like this. So let's go ahead and hear Eric's stories. Okay, we're talking with Eric tonight, who has some really strange experiences from his childhood to relate. Rather than try to give a preview of them, I'm just going to let you walk right into the story, Eric. Uh, you can just start us out with telling us about when this happened. And as comfortable as you are, uh, it can be town, state, city, or you know whatever. You don't have to get real specific if you don't want to. Tell us where it happened.
3: Sure. Um, this uh, uh, happened between my neighbor's house, which was a friend of mine, and my house in Tucson, Arizona, where I was uh, or born and raised. Uh, I was eight, nine years old when this started, so this was 84, 85. Okay. Basically, uh, you know, uh, me and the next door neighbor kid were good friends. We used to play with each other all the time, play GI Joe, He Man, all that kind of cool stuff. At the time, in our neighborhood, behind our particular division was you know a large lot of desert that we can go exploring, a wash to go play in, whatnot. And we were pretty good friends for quite a long time. Kind of cut down to it. Uh, so what what was the first incident that kind of happened was uh, I was over at his house one day. This was uh, during the summer, uh, on summer break. And we were playing together. We are in his living room. And his mom asked me to come over by their bedroom. And so I did. You know, we were good friends. So nothing to expect anything and she asked me to wait in the doorway not really coming to to the room and in the room was his mother uh the father and uh, a couple gentlemen that i don't remember they used to have guests come in their house all the time and they asked me if i wanted to see something really cool and you know being eight nine years old you know yeah absolutely no not wondering what was going to go on
1: yeah what kid says no to that question you know
3: right right yeah. so basically they started doing this thing um, I would say now looking back I would say it was kind of like a like a chant or a seance. I couldn't really recall whatever words what was going on but to give a layout of the room is that their bed had been moved to the center of the room instead of against the wall, which is kind of typical of what you see in most beds. Then from basically underneath the bed and up and through the covers, kind of formed the uh, the first figure, and it was kind of like the sheets on the bed kind of wrapped around this figure, kind of like um, when you see in the movies, uh, like a horror movie where the like like creature face is like pushing through the wall and it really mm-hmm. stretches out,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and that's what this looked like. Well, the first character or entity that came out was. If I remember right, it was a cowboy. And he comes up and starts shooting his guns, and you can hear the guns go off, bang, 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 and he kind of hoops and hollers like what you hear the cowboys do in the old Western movies. Then he kind of just disappears. The sheet's lay back to to the bed as if not ever disturbed. And, you know, at first I'm thinking, you know, this is really cool. And then um, another figure came up. Um, pretty much the same way. It looked like Avengers from under the bed, un- under the sheets, and then into the middle of the bed. And now these weren't full figures. This was probably just the torso up. Okay. The next was uh, uh, li- like a Native American war chief. You can make out the headdress, war club, and um, was doing like a-, a war cry. And that was kind of cool at the time. But it was starting to get a little freaky because this was kind of weird, you know. I'm thinking to myself, how are they doing this? The next uh, creature to come out, the person to come out, was like a knight. And as he's coming up from under the bed and under the sheets and forming up in the middle of the bed, you can hear the galloping of the hooves, you know, the blum 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 And then pretty much the head of the horse comes out, and you can see the head of a knight. And the horse makes a sound. You can hear the neighing and uh, the the clinking of the armor. And then, uh, as the others, he kind of just disappears. And at this time, my heart's really starting to race and is really starting to get freaky. And I can notice some of the adults around the room were kind of uh, starting to smile, starting to laugh a bit. Then the final character to come out was. Well, you know, what we stereotypically uh, stereotypically think of as a witch. Mm -hmm. Uh, With the pointed hat, you could tell it made the shape of the hat. And she came out, and she did a cackling, like, you know, the cackling laugh. And But this figure actually turned towards me and was laughing. And I know she said something, but I can't remember what what it was at the time, because at that time I was so freaked out. That like my heart was pounding so hard. That's all I could hear in in my ears.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And I remember freaking out and crying. And then basically everything after that kind of went blank. Everything went black. The me- next memory that I have was actually walking home crying because it was such a freaky experience.
1: Wow. Can we pause here so I can ask some questions? Yes. These figures, you said they're basically from the torso up on the bed, right? Correct. Were they, like, human-sized then? Were they, like, life-sized, I guess, this is the question?
3: Yes, yes. They were, like, full humans, just from the waist up.
1: And how much detail could you see through the sheets?
3: I could make out what they were in the sense of, you know, I could tell that it was a cowboy, a uh, Native American, uh, the witch, and the knight. I mean, couldn't, you know I couldn't make out, like, any eyeballs or necessarily a mouth. Mm-hmm. But it's almost as if uh, the sheep's sheet sorry sheets form fitted around each uh figure
1: do you think there was any chance this could have been some kind of technology like some kind of uh holograph or you know anything like that?
3: I mean for the longest time, I thought it was just a really really bad dream mm hmm I mean, this was the mid-80s. I mean, I'm not sure what the everyday person would have gotten to make uh, this kind of image.
5: Right.
1: I mean,
3: I'm not sure. Holograms Holograms weren't readily available
1: for sure. Right. Did they move naturally enough to eliminate the possibility of puppets, say?
3: You know that's that is a good question. I could see um, the gliding from underneath the bed unto under the sheets. Like you could see something come up from under the bed, but it perfectly went up the sheet, so you saw like nothing come out from under the bed. If that makes sense.
1: Wow! So it's like something crawled up underneath the sheet. Right. Oh wow, that's creepy. Now this is kind of a hard question, but since you blacked out, and you have missing time there, and, I mean, who knows what was going on with these people? Is there any worry about, you know, anything kind of sick happening to you in that time?
3: As far as I know, physically, at least I was okay. Okay, that's Um, good. Actually, right after that incident, I was not allowed to play with uh, my friend anymore. His parents forbid it. Because I remember going over there a couple days later to go see if he could play. And he told me he wasn't allowed to play with me anymore. And I couldn't figure out why.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, If anything, I should have gone the other way, right?
3: (laughs) You would think so. But I I never really told my parents about it. Mm -hmm. It was just too weird. Mm -hmm. I guess what kind of gave a little bit of solidification about what happened, that it was more than just a dream, is that his father kind of built a treehouse in the back. Now, there's not really any real trees in Arizona to build a treehouse in, but it was essentially uh, like a hunting blind.
1: Like a raised kind of hunting yeah. blind, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Right, because the tree that I remember them having in the backyard was a mesquite tree, and the mesquite tree in Arizona has like one to two-inch thorns, not exactly an ideal treehouse.
5: Right, right.
3: And I remember seeing them playing playing in the treehouse and. and there was a female figure with him. You could tell there's female, feminine features, breasts. You know, I could tell. And so I figured, oh, his mom's playing in the treehouse with him. Well, I finally caught up with him one day at school and asked him how you like the treehouse. And I told him, you know, I saw you playing with your mom. And he goes, well, that wasn't really my mom. I was like, well, who was it? And he goes, well, that's the witch. I said, the witch? And he goes, yeah, the witch lives in my treehouse. So I'm not allowed to play in there anymore. Might okay, whatever. It's kind of weird. Um, I also asked him at the time why he wasn't allowed to play with me, and he just said he wasn't allowed to play with me anymore, that we couldn't be friends, and he never uh, really ever gave any detail why. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't understand why, because as far as I know, I didn't do anything, unless something ha- happened when I blanked out.
1: Right, but, right. Yeah, I mean, they scared you, not the other way around.
3: Right and so eventually after a couple of years they moved away and that's when i started seeing like a dark shadow figure start to appear in my room shortly after they left and that uh, shadow figure i used to when i was a kid assumed that it was a witch but I, I can't really say that for sure after hearing so many stories about people's encounters with shadow people but mm-hmm. Um, the first encounter that I, I quite remember is uh, waking up in the middle of the night. I'm not sure what time it was, but I remember waking up, and there was this dark figure standing essentially at the foot of my bed, just a little bit off to the right from how my bed was positioned in my room. And, and I mean, this figure was black. It's almost like it was a void in the blackness, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, like people describe it blacker than the night around it kind of thing.
3: Exactly. Yeah. And it looked like it had like a hat. Could have been like a cloak with a pointed top, I suppose. But I, it never said anything to me. But I could feel the terror from it. Mm-hmm. And his shoulders would move up and down like someone who was like breathing really heavy. Especially like when someone gets really ticked off and they just kind of become like a really menacing form with the shoulders moving up and down, not really knowing what to do. I did what every other kid really does, and I threw the covers over my head. And I could still see the figure through my head. In fact, it actually moved even closer. I could tell that its, its face was pretty much near my face.
1: Oh, you could see it through the covers. Right. Oh.
3: And it had no form. Like, I couldn't see any eyes, any teeth. Just, like, the hate. Or the just just the terror, right there. And I grew up in a pretty nominal Christian home. My two older brothers were pretty fundamental Christians, and I remember them talking in the past about you know casting out things in Jesus' name and whatnot. But it's not what I did actually. What I started doing was singing like Sunday school songs, mm-hmm. the the B I B L E, and Jesus loves me, this I know. And any other song I could think of. And uh, eventually, it it just seemed like it kind of went away. And I kind of creeped into my parents' room, kind of slept on the floor by their bed. And this kind of became a kind of repeated event over times. Not necessarily always the same way. In fact, there were kind of times where I felt like it was tormenting me, like, It'd wait Like, I would wake up, I could tell it was in, I could see it over, like, in the corner of my room, and as soon as I think about making a dash out to my door, because the way my house was positioned, my room was at the end of the hall, but my parents, from my bedroom, was immediately to the right. I mean, it was just a quick turn, like, a half a foot. But as soon as I thought about dashing out through the door, it would be in the doorway. Hmm. Pretty much anywhere that I wanted to go, anywhere that I thought I could hide, it would essentially block my escape.
1: Did it move in in a sort of normal way, or was it like super quick, or was there anything strange? It was about almost
3: it? like it, it was almost like instantaneous. Mm-hmm. Like it read my thoughts and it knew beforehand what I wanted to do. And a lot of times, not you know, it would show up as the dark shadow figure. Sometimes it would just be. presence in the room, like, you couldn't see it, but you could feel it. Um, There were times that if I left my closet door open, I would see eyes in the closet, usually multiple eyes. So it could have been more than one. Uh, Usually they were red. There was a couple incidences where the eyes were more like a yellow. But it would always be no less than three I think I can remember seeing six or seven set of eyes wow. in the closet, and this went on and off until we moved out of that house when I was about sixteen. And it wouldn't happen every night; like it would happen, like it would happen multiple days in a row, and then not happen for weeks.
1: And it happened all the way up until you were sixteen. Yeah, up until we moved
3: out of the house.
1: Wow. Was there sleep paralysis associated with this?
3: Only a couple times. A couple times. Only a couple times. Most of the time, I could move. I could throw myself under the covers, um, kind of curl myself up in a ball in the corner of my bed, uh, throw the pillows over my head. Anything, right? You know, and the beliefs like every kid believes that as long as your toes aren't sticking out, it can't get you. Right. So make sure that blanket was wrapped up underneath me pretty good.
1: I think I'm going to literally make us a. Uh a set of covers with uh, protection symbols on them. Right. <laughs> right. Them.
3: And so I found out later on when I got a little bit older that I was not the only kid in the neighborhood that had this experience. Now I should say um, one thing I, I kind of left out was as other kids moved into the neighborhood and we would explore the desert around us, a lot of times what we would find in the desert were, and I know, This is kind of like a cliche uh, to say it this way, but I don't know how else to say it. But a lot of times we would find satanic symbols. Mm -hmm. Um, Going through the desert, you would run into animals that got eaten by coyotes, especially like cats. But every so often we would find a site that you could tell was used in a ritual. You would find the animal, usually a cat, uh, sometimes a dog. It's been opened up. It's entrails have been poured out and burnt, essentially on a a makeshift altar.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: And so I don't know if if it was someone just playing a prank or if there was someone out there that experimented with dark arts. Right. And I don't know if that actually had an influence on it. Because I remember seeing that stuff when I was very young and always would run into that all the time. And I would find later on from some of the other kids in the neighborhood, like my friend across the street, that we all had some sort of strange paranormal experience. Like a buddy of mine that wound up moving into the neighborhood a couple of years after this incident started would talk about an old man who would hang out his window and would scratch on his window and ask to come in. And he always described it as an old man, but the old man always had just three fingers. Interesting. Went, oh, Right. And would always scratch at his window. Another kid down the street who's from a Mexican family would talk about a lady that would bother him in his home. And I, if I remember what he said, I think he would call it uh, uh, La Verona, I, I believe is what he would, uh, would the, name it.
1: The crying woman, yes.
3: right. And she would bother him and never any of his sisters. He was the only uh, male child in the house. And she would only bother him and never any of his sisters. Yeah, I think there was maybe one other kid up the street that talked about some very weird, very strange experiences similar to kind of like what we had. But no one's was ever exactly the same.
1: Mm -hmm. That's wild. But your experiences personally only started after this family moved away.
3: Correct. Although I do have to say this. When I first, I never really talked to this about anybody. I had actually written this story into um, like a website that, you know, posts up people's personal stories. And my sister read it. And she had told me that she never saw a dark figure in the house, but she could always feel like a like a dark, menacing presence in the house. When she lived there,
4: mm-hmm.
3: so I'm much younger than my my brothers and my sisters. Oh, my okay. sister's 13 years older. I was a surprise of the family. Right. like my, the next oldest was 10 years older than I was. But she she told me that she used to feel a dark presence, and I asked my my brother Peter, who lived in the house for a short time before he joined the navy and stuff, if he had any experiences. And he said he never saw anything, but he said the same thing as my sister said, that he could feel a dark presence in the house. I did finally wind up asking my father this past year about if he ever had any strange experiences at the house. And he said, uh, no, but he did remember my brother Peter talking about that there was some strange man that was standing outside the window.
4: Hmm.
3: And my father would go check, and he never could figure out how that could be possible because in front of each of our, of the windows of the house were these large—I um, can't think of the type of cactus there, but imagine like an aloe vera plant that's like 100 times bigger. Mm-hmm. So it's like—he called them a century cactus, but I don't think that's technically the name for them. Okay. But there's no way someone could be standing in front of you with this thing right in front of the window with uh, thorns and spikes on the tips of it.
1: Right. That was the old school house alarm. You'd, you'd plant stuff like holly trees or, or cactuses or whatever, you know, kind of uncomfortable plants around your house to keep people back.
3: Right, yeah. My father learned that, uh, so my, my father's actually originally from Pennsylvania, and my mom's originally from Vermont. And after they met in the Army, and they lived in Vermont for a while, and my my oldest brother, Mark, has asthma, and they said that, you know, if you moved to Arizona, it would be better for his lungs. But my dad had originally – my family had originally stopped and uh, stayed in Louisville for a while
4: because mm-hmm.
3: my parents met at Fort Knox, which is kind of funny because that's where I did my basic training and stuff at. And he actually liked it in Louisville, but he had, they had a lot of problems. In fact, there was some guy that tried to break into my um, sister's room one time, and that's kind of when he – it's living in Louisville anymore, and that's when they proceeded to go ahead and move to Arizona and I think that's why he planted those cactuses outside the window.
1: Yeah, that was, I mean, it was... Because of the We don't think about doing that much anymore. It's very practical. People did that all the time. Yep, we, and it worked. Oh, it works. We have some. We have holly trees right outside the, the windows in front of our house. I know nobody's getting close. Those things are sharp. Yes, they are. So do you think it's a, a chicken and egg thing that was happening in that neighborhood? Do you think... I mean, it sounds like that family... Your friend's family I'm talking about here were involved in some kind of, you know, you got the impression it was a seance. It seems like there's some kind of maybe a call it activity or something going on there. And then you're finding these sites in the desert where, you know, it appears people have been doing some sort of, you know, ritual or sacrifice or something. Do you think they caused whatever all these things are to sort of come to the area?
3: In my conclusion, I would say yes, because in the neighborhood that we lived in, that was like
1: a brand-spanking-new neighborhood.
3: Um, this was really during the early boom of the growth in Tucson in the 80s, when a lot of people are moving to Tucson. So this was one of the newer divisions at the time. And so, as far as I know, no, no burial grounds or anything that was built on. And It's not like an old house that was once lived in and somebody died in or one of the typical stories that you hear so uh, in my personal opinion uh, seeing that it was such a, a dark and terrifying figure I, I I would assume that this was probably more invited into this side of the veil than mm-hmm. kind of a like a, a typical haunting.
1: Yeah, my only other thought would be maybe whatever it is in that area and I don't think it matters that they're new houses. I've had so many stories now where people have had hauntings and brand new houses and apartment buildings and everything else that I don't think that matters one bit. Right. But you wonder if maybe there was something about that specific location that drew the people that were into the occult as well as whatever these other things are. I mean that that you know it's just another thought maybe there was something specific to that location.
3: It could be. You know, Arizona is um The stories that surround Arizona about vortexes to the spiritual realm are all over the place. Um, I know it's quite famous out in Sedona, but I remember hearing about it growing up in Tucson. People felt that there was a a very deep spiritual connection uh, within the desert itself, which is not really surprising because in my research and studies that I found that places, especially desert places, seem to be... Um, great att- attraction to um, spiritual activity. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure why, but and I know Arizona is is quite infamous for that.
1: Yeah. I mean, for instance, you know, Alistair Crowley had a house on the banks of Loch Ness. You know, it's mm-hmm. <laughs> like this stuff never surprised me that they show up in the same place. All right. The, all the kind of weirdness together. So uh, this stopped when you moved then at 16. It
3: did. We moved to uh, another house. And I never had another incident with that particular type of shadow person since. I think I had maybe one other paranormal experience before I moved up to Arizona. And that one actually dealt with seeing a Native American, a warrior, riding on a horse across the desert
1: one night. Let's get that story in one second. So how much of a relief was it? when you were finally able to, to sleep without you know, waking up and, and feeling or seeing this presence, whatever it, it was?
3: It was a day-night difference. I totally got out of my shell because I was a very shy child. Very, I very much kept to myself. Mm-hmm. And then when we moved, it was like the last couple of years of high school, and that really helped me break out of my shell. And those last two years of school were like some of the best.
1: Yeah, I can imagine, man. Especially as a young child, where you have these repeat. And if somebody wants to say it's a dream, well, so what? It's it was real to you at the time. You know what I mean? Um, right. If it
3: was a dream, it was it's it's a dream that stuck with me my
1: whole life. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying that's what it was. I'm just saying if you know if a skeptic wants to say you were just having having dreams, first of all, strange that they would stop when you move. But you know, in any case, wow, to be literally haunted by that. You know, as a child, it it must have been. It would affect your whole life. You know, it would affect everything, I think.
3: Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree.
1: Let's get this other story. That sounds really interesting.
3: Yeah, it's it's not much of a story other than it was uh, probably a year before I moved up to Wisconsin. I had just been through a really bad breakup. Um, I was in a really deep relationship. And, I, you know, uh, for me, I felt lost at the time. And one of the things I've always liked to do is I always like to go out in the desert and it's a great place for meditation. I had some of my favorite spots and normally I didn't go at night, but this time I did. And, you know, and just kind of, it's outside the city. You can see the stars, the Milky Way. It's just absolutely beautiful. And just kind of sitting on the trunk of my car, just trying to contemplate everything that's just going on and what to do and how to, wrestle with these emotions, and um, essentially from the distance, I I see this kind of pale white light coming from a distance. And in my head, I'm thinking dirt bike, you know, Mm -hmm. not unusual. But then I'm like, well, it's kind of right across the middle of the desert. That's kind of weird. And eventually run into a cactus or a rock or something. And as it got closer, I realized I'm not hearing a motorcycle sound. I'm hearing hoof sounds. And that's not necessarily unusual either because one of the kind of uh, fun things about living in Tucson is even though Tucson is an urban environment, but at the same time, it's still Western and not unusual to see horses walking down the street, even in the middle of the city. And so, but I realize as it's getting closer, it's getting faster and faster and I'm kind of getting spooked out. And it doesn't really necessarily go at me, but it goes by me. And I recognize it as a Native American warrior had the full headdress going on. And just like he's riding off to either go into battle or he's running away from something. And that was probably the freakiest thing I had ever seen. Because I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't drinking. I was just kind of, you know, like I said, I was there to contemplate everything that had been going on in my life at that time. Right. And I'm not sure why that was, but it, it scared the hell out of me. I got in the car and left after that.
1: Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> did it look? Did he? Did it look natural and solid?
3: Yeah, pretty solid. Other than it was kind of like a pale gray color when it went by. That was probably about it. I could see the details. I could see the feature of his face, uh, his clothes, uh, the feathers in his headdress. Could even smell. I could actually even smell the horse. It was oh, really, wow. really weird.
1: Oh wow! Uh, so d- was it essentially like a like a black and white image almost?
3: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah, like I said, shortly after that, I, I got that out of there. I'm not sure what that meant. I don't know if that was supposed to be a message or just kind of a weird coincidence. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, was it wasn't one of those ghosts that just kind of repeat what they did in life you know right over and over right. again or was it something else
3: right because i know where i was at used to be at one time navajo territory so who knows it could have been it could have been a ghost of their ancestors for all i know
1: did you ever connect in any way the indian on the horse to the one on the bed
3: i have thought about that in the past and I don't. I don't know if there's a connection to it or not.
5: Did it look? Because
3: I never it, had uh, a connection with any of the other uh, entities outside of what happened in the neighborhood.
1: Right. Did it look in any way the same, as, as far as you can remember?
3: I would say it was definitely the same type of headdress, and uh, either a, a war club or or tomahawk, whatever it had in its hand, at See, the that, time. I would definitely say yeah.
1: That's very interesting, though. I mean, you know, who can say, but it's very interesting.
3: Yeah, which is kind of weird because I don't have any Native American in me at all. And it, it, if I were, it would have come from the eastern part of the country, definitely not uh, not from like one of the tribes in, in Arizona, not one of the Navajo or Apaches mm-hmm. or anything like that. Yeah, that would probably be the only incidence that would be somewhat related to the, the four figures that I saw in that room that day.
1: Right, right, unless the peaked head on whatever was visiting you was the same as the witch's hat.
3: That is true. That is true.
1: As an adult, have you ever had sleep paralysis since?
3: Uh, no, no. I have had, I believe, one other incidence with that dark figure shortly before I got married. Oh, really? I In... in, in I'm not sure if it was a dream or if it was astral projection. And the reason why I say this is um, this was probably just a couple months before I was supposed to get married. And I, in my dream, I remember waking up. And I remember seeing a dark hooded figure. Now, it wasn't exactly like what I saw when I was a kid because I could see a face. In fact, actually, in my mind, it reminded me of the Emperor from Star Wars. Okay, which was now would have been unusual for me to dream of because I, uh, I was a huge Star Wars fan. So, uh, in my dream, you know, I, you know, in a lot of my dreams, I learned to control my dreams.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So, and my, in, I, I, I made a lightsaber, and actually went to a lightsaber duel with this. Oh wow! But. Usually in your dreams, you can control what happens. I quickly realized I was not in control of my dreams. And actually, this, this thing beat me down. Hmm. And it got in my face and told me, you will always be mine. Oh. And I said, no. I said, I am not yours. I'll never be yours, no matter what you do to me. And then it kind of laughed, and it disappeared.
1: Oh, Wow.
3: And I remember waking up, but I wasn't in my bed when I woke up. I was on the floor that... in the position that I was when he beat me down.
1: Wow. Those little things that, that these other things say to people, that just reminded me of the story we had of the entity that appeared in the guy's doorway that said, I love you to him. And uh, he said he thought it was his sister. so he, he But he said it was a real gruff voice. So he said, I love you back in the, in, in the same kind of gruff voice. And it, the, whatever it was said, don't mock me to him. It was so creepy. But, uh,
3: that, does, that puts chills right now, my back right there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the same kind of feeling. Like when, when, what did you say? You will always be mine. Yes. Oh yeah. That's, that's just creepy. That's creepy. And mine were, uh, uh, two gray aliens that were leaning over top of me and said in unison, we are the ones who take you.
5: Wow. Yeah.
1: It's chilling. These little statements, these things make. Right. So how long ago was that?
3: Well, I have been married for over 12 years now. So yeah, that had been over like at least 12 and a half years.
1: And, and nothing since.
3: I have had other experiences, not from that uh, particular entity. No um my late my last bit of paranormal experience happened at a church that i worked at as a second job it was a church that me and my wife go to Mm -hmm. and uh, i picked up a job as uh doing custodial work over on the weekends and uh for the most part you know it started off pretty normal would do normal things come in saturday mornings um it was It had a a sanctuary, uh, normal church stuff, and then also had a small school uh, with it. And so, Saturdays, you know, clean out the school, um, you know, touch up the sanctuary, make it look nice, and then come back on Sunday afternoon, kind of repeat the same thing, take out the garbage to make everything look nice for school the next day. And um, I remember one day I was, uh, you know, cleaning. And I heard some voices. Um, I thought it was kind of weird because I could hear it through because I would have my earbuds in. I'd either be listening to music or a podcast or something. And it wasn't unusual for people just to show up at any time at the church. I've even had people when I've come in at 4 o'clock in the morning show up to pick up something inside the kitchen or something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I thought someone's coming in. I went to look to see what it was because I don't like people sneaking up on me. And I didn't see anybody. Well, it was kind of weird, and it kind of happened throughout the rest of my shift. And it, it always sounded like it was kids either talking or playing or laughing. And I told my wife about it. She goes, well, you listen to a lot of those paranormal podcasts. Uh, you might be freaking yourself out. I'm like, okay. Well, you know, that makes sense. You know, you can spook yourself out. Right. So uh, I switched to just listening to music, and that continued. It would sound like there was kids in the hallway people in the foyer and not just like one or two, but like a large crowd. Like it was Sunday morning or something. And there's nobody there. And this will go off and on. Uh, not every time it works. Then things started kind of going a little bit weird as the winter came along is um, I was cleaning the boys' bathroom on the school side and I was doing the sinks, just kind of wiping down the sinks. I started from one end, got to the other, and when I got to the last sink, all of a sudden the sink on the other end turned on by itself. Huh. I thought that was kind of weird. So I went and shut it off. Kind of looked around me. Didn't really see anybody. So went about my business clean. It was time to mop. So I go into the mop room. I'm filling up the bucket. I turn off the water. Just as I'm leaving, the water turns on in the mop room. And I'm like, no, no. We're not doing this. You need to leave me alone. Just go away. I'm not ready for this. And nothing happened for a while. Then, back at the boy's bathroom, this is probably maybe a month later. um, You know how sometimes you get that feeling when somebody's watching you? Oh, yeah. Well, I look around, look over my shoulder. It's cleaning the sinks again. So it seems like everything surrounds by those sinks. All of a sudden, I see this dark head peek around the corner and I jump and I freak like I do the whole thing. and all of a sudden it's a shadow person but it's a kid probably about someone's like 7-8 years old run across the bathroom into the wall and disappear and I'm like swearing and cussing like what in the hell is that so I quickly clean the bathroom kind of get out of there and I had a couple more incidences like that where I see, like, small shadow people, uh, usually right around the hallway or in the bathroom, never really anywhere else. Probably the strangest one was was getting ready to vacuum the main hallway, and we have this really giant vacuum cleaner that does you know, it, like, covers half the, the hallway. And at the end of the hallway is another shadow figure. And most of these shadow figures in the church were not, like, perfectly solid. They kind of had, like, um, jagged edges, almost kind of like they're staticky. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: And there was one at the end of the hall that kind of looked like a big, fat man. Kind of had, like, a really big belly. He looked fairly tall. I would say probably 6'5 or taller. I'm 5'8", so that's pretty tall to me. And, yeah. And he's just standing there. Kinda of like he's looking. And I'm like, you know what, I got a job to do. I got a family to feed, so I'm going to vacuum. And eventually he just kinda of disappears as I as I come towards him as I'm vacuuming.
1: We have gotten other reports of, of these, you know, static men or people that like static and I don't know why, but for some reason they creep me out more than the Black Shadow people. Now, I'm, I'm not seeing either. I'm just saying the idea of them creep me out more.
3: Right, right. None of them ever felt menacing other than they scare the crap out of me out of, like, pure surprise.
1: Right. What are you doing here? You know, <laughs> pretty
3: much, you know. I sometimes, like my kids do sometimes, you know. I wake up in the middle of the night and there they are staring at you wanting to ask you a question kind of thing. <laughs> So, you know, that kind of goes off and on. That's the only time I ever saw the big fat shadow guy. After a while, the shadow people kind of faded away, didn't really see him much. But hearing the voices and sounding like there's lots of people when there was nobody there. And I would change my hours just to see if if it was a certain time of day. It could be 3 o'clock in the afternoon or 3 o'clock in the morning. And kind of like the same results. And unfortunately, I never really ran into any of the other janitors, never asked if they ever had an experience. Mm -hmm. And I would say probably one time did I ever feel like there was something hostile when I was cleaning. Like, there was one night where I probably, what normally took about five hours to clean, I was able to get done in three. Because the whole night, I just felt like there was like, like something behind me, angry, like. Someone screaming at me, but I'm not hearing screaming. It's just kind of that really angry, vindictive um, feeling. And it's like I couldn't shake it no matter where I went, whether it's in the sanctuary or in the school side or whatever. So that really motivated me to clean as quick as I could.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I would think so. And towards the end of my
3: tenure, I, I did this job for about a year. It was probably, I don't know, second to the third night that was going to be the end of it. I was coming in late on a Friday night because they are having a, a wedding the next day. And so I came in, cleaned up the sanctuary, trying to make it look extra special and nice. And this was about the middle of the night. It was a time I'm normally not there. And so how the sanctuary set up, the two main doors that go into the sanctuary have large windows. Well, I'm mopping. And I'm doing a rinse and ready to mop down the next set of pews. And all of a sudden, there's this Golden like figure, um, look like a lady to me, kind of walks into the foyer and makes a beeline down the hall of the school and then into one of the classrooms. And I'm like, who the heck is here in the middle of the night? I mean, some of the teachers there were dedicated. Some of them would come in really early in the morning, six, seven, eight o'clock, and just so they can be ready for the next week. And I'm like, eh, I can't have them staying here. This is going to be a wedding. Can't take the chance if they're messing up anything. Because a lot of the like the bride will use one classroom and the groom and his his guys would use another classroom. Right. Right. So we just wanted to make sure nothing's getting messed up. Despite that, maybe the teacher's classroom at that moment it's not well i realized there's no way they could have gotten in there because the doors are locked it's part of the security protocol you know after you know all the unfortunate school shootings that we've had
4: mm-hmm.
3: so that's kind of, that's a requirement now so they had to have all oh, the doors locked at all times and there's no way this person could have gotten in there i had the only set of keys at the time and I go to the classroom that I started going in, and lo and behold, it's locked, and it's dark in there.
6: Wow. Uh,
1: just and I be- was, because I know people are going to ask, I'm sorry to inter- interrupt, but uh, are those your kids in the background?
3: Yes, I'm sorry. I, okay. My oldest son is autistic, so he likes to be loud.
1: No, it's not, not a problem at all, but uh, people <laughs> would will uh, think it's something paranormal unless we address it.
3: No, <laughs> no. Not paranormal, it's just uh, it's, uh, being close to bedtime, and he likes to get loud before bedtime.
1: So. Not a problem at all. No problem. I, I never mind when people, you know, have, when I hear their pets or their kids, it doesn't bother me. I just want to address it. Because one time, I had a recently, I had uh, Tobias Wayland on talking about the Chicago Mothman, and I heard a sound, and I thought he has a dog. I was like, oh, that's his dog. And uh, later on, someone picked it up on the podcast, and I said, "Oh, I'm sure that was Tobias's dog." And Tobias came back said, "My dog was not in the room with me. I don't know what that sound was." So we have to check. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. We have to check when we hear stuff. But
3: uh, yeah, no, that that's definitely my my oldest. I got uh, triplet boys. Triplets. Uh, yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Yep. I, you know what? That actually reminds me. There was an incident that happened when the boys were born. If you want to hear that story real quick.
1: Sure, sure. I got twins. Um, triplets is uh, plus one more. Good right, for you. Right, Good for you.
3: Yeah, actually, they did really well. They were born at 35 weeks, which is really good for triplets.
1: That is. Uh,
3: but they still had to stay at the NICU, which is, for those who don't know, that's the newborn intensive care unit.
1: I'm very familiar with it. That's where mine were.
3: Okay, great. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't know if anybody else knew. Um, so the the boys are in there and um, this actually happens to be Landon, the one that everybody's hearing in the background. You know, my wife was trying to breastfeed him and whatnot, trying to get the boys used to doing all that stuff, and her used to doing that stuff. And she needed to take a break, so the nurse handed off Landon to me, so I was holding him. My wife is gone. The nurse leaves. And the way they had it set up at the time is at the end of each of the... uh, The the warmers, the incubators, they have a thesescope, if I said that right, Mm -hmm. at the end of each one, so the doctors don't always have to constantly worry about making sure they got theirs. Well, as I'm holding them, you know, I'm looking around, and I look at his incubator, and all of a sudden the thesescope just starts swinging back and forth like a pendulum. Hmm. And then just kind of comes to a dead stop right in the middle. And the nurse comes back, and I said, you know, um, that, that's what I'm just started swinging on its own and just kind of stopped. And she looked at me with really wide eyes and then just kind of walked out. I'm like, okay, my wife works at this hospital and she was a CNA at the time there. And I asked her about it and she goes, there's all sorts of strange things that happen at this hospital. She should probably call up one of these days and tell you all the stuff she's seen.
1: Yeah. I would imagine hospitals have some, have some, uh, energy there.
3: Yeah, so that, that's as far as I know the only paranormal experiences that the boys have ever had. <laughs> so I don't know if they've had any other. But
1: how old are they now? Eleven. Eleven. Okay. My kids
3: know that I'm into the paranormal and whatnot. I've told them my stories, but they've never shared anything with me. So, which I'm happy for. I hope they don't ever.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's I. I mean, besides not being scared, it's uh, you know, it's a kind of a simpler life. I think.
3: Yeah, no, the closest one, I think I ever remember them saying was, said there's some strange person at the edge of the wood that keeps on talking to them. And when I went out to go to see who they're talking about, there was nobody there. And it turned out later on, it was two junior high girls that were playing in the woods, and they kept on coming back and out teasing the boys and then go running back in the woods.
1: Ah, well, that's better than what it could have been.
3: Right, right. I was kind of really freaked out at the time, so I'm just like, you know. What's going on? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, Eric, thanks so much for sharing your stories.
3: Yeah, well, thank you for listening. I I hope uh, people find them interesting.
1: I'm sure they will. Thanks so much.
3: Thank you, sir.
6: Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement.
1: This is difficult times for everybody, and our patrons have stepped up in amazing ways. Like I said previously, in normal times, we couldn't do the show without our patrons. In times like this, it's just amazing to see the support. So thank you, patrons. Thanks for everything you do. If you like what we do, if you like Strange Familiars, and you want to help us continue to make the show, you can become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Last week, we unlocked one of our patron shows, made it available to everybody, just because everybody's in lockdown and we're trying to give extra content. So that was a little sample of what we do for our patrons. That was the Strange Disappearance at Seven Devils episode. The patron shows have been some of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Some of the patron shows we've done, even going back to the first patron show, The Mountain Nebo Monster, those have been some of my favorite episodes. But hopefully everybody liked that, and it gave you a sample of the kind of stuff we do for our patrons. We do full episodes, just like our normal episodes for our patrons. For $3 a month, you can get those extra episodes. There are over 50 right now. We're going to keep doing them. You get access to those 50 episodes as soon as you become a patron, and then... Every
2: one after that.
1: Everyone after that, as long as you stay a patron. Patreon.com slash strange familiars. There are other levels of support there as well for things like t-shirts and copies of my books and CDs and even original artwork. Go ahead and check it out. Again, that's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. If you don't like the idea of a monthly subscription like Patreon, you can make a one-time donation via PayPal. Just go to strangefamiliars.com. Look in the show notes under any episode. You will see a paypal.me link. You can click on that and make a one-time payment. Everyone can help by sharing the show on social media, by liking and subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts, whatever podcatcher you use, and give us those nice five-star reviews because that helps get the show in front of new potential listeners. Okay, so the photo of the week for this episode, I know you like a theme. I do like a theme. I didn't have any witches.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We're fresh out of witches right now.
1: We actually, we might have something witchy somewhere, but this has a story that goes with it. So I thought this was neat. I found this photo, again, at our secret hidey hole of forgotten ephemera. People have asked me where that is. I'll never reveal that. (laughs) I'm sorry. it's, It's just a super cool place where we get a lot of ephemera. I picked up this photo and it says Devil's Oven, Thousand Islands, New York. Because I'm tuned into this sort of thing, I know places with devil names usually have stories that go with them.
2: Or they're hot. (laughs) (laughs) But I I wouldn't have thought of um, the Thousand Islands in New York as being a particularly warm place.
1: I do hear they have good dressing, though.
2: (laughs) Yeah, they do. (laughs) Here's a little secret, though. (laughs) It's just ketchup
1: and mayonnaise (laughs) and relish. (laughs) I bought the photo on a whim, mm-hmm. thinking, there's a story that goes with this. There must be a story that goes with this. And there is. So this is from The Record, Hackensack, New Jersey, the 26th of July, 1966.
2: Ooh, going way back now.
1: Devil's Oven was a hideout. Patriot's Celebration had sober sequel. The Legend of Devil's Oven, another of the 1,000 Islands. The so-called Patriot's War of 1838 was an abortive attempt by a group of canadians and united states citizens to wrest canada from the british empire canada for the canadians was their motto did you know about the patriots war
2: we didn't have an in-depth canadian history we did <laughs> no i, I no, no
1: i truly know nothing about
2: canadian history
1: yeah i mean very little anyway yeah, yeah they, I mean, they probably
2: we, just came from public television shows
1: <laughs> under the leadership of bill johnson of new york and william l mackenzie grandfather of the late canadian prime minister mackenzie king An attack was planned against the British forces. Unfortunately, an overdose of liquid refreshment imbibed at a victory celebration in advance of the battle prevented (laughs) the attack from taking place. I like the victory celebration in advance of the battle.
2: (laughs) Now there's the positivity that you need to (laughs) propel yourself.
1: However, Bill Johnson and a small band of his followers managed a few days later to sink a British riverboat, the Sir Robert Peel, after robbing its passengers and putting them ashore. With both the United States and Canadian officials looking for him, Bill Johnson hid for nearly a year in a cave on Devil's Island named Devil's Oven, where his daughter brought food and supplies to him daily by boat. After a year, Johnson gave himself up, was pardoned, and appointed a lighthouse keeper. So, pretty cool story. Bill Johnson's known as a pirate. It's come out that he probably didn't hide in that cave. That's probably just part of a legend. Mm -hmm. But his daughter, I think, really did bring him food wherever he was hiding. So there is a story to go with the devil's oven photo. It's a small photo.
2: I think sometimes those photos of a particular size, which I'm going to guess maybe two and a half by three or so, and they're used as proofs for other postcards.
1: Oh, okay. All right. So this is probably what became a photo postcard. Then. Mm-hmm. We will put this in the show notes for this episode. You can see a picture of it. You can click it. It should take you to our Etsy store where you can purchase it for $13. All All right devil's oven cool photo has a cool story that goes with it
2: i like the idea of someone um bringing food and dropping it off and leaving it's very
1: it's very of the time yes yes Yes, it is the photos of the week have been selling quickly so thank you guys for that i'm glad that we're getting people into photo collecting some people have bought the photo of the week and then proceeded to ask for other photos from us as well so that's super nice yeah one of the things we do. And, and one of the ways you can support us is by supporting the, the photos as well. Helps the podcast and helps us all around. So uh, thank you guys for that. We'll be back soon with part two of this series. It's not a, not a direct continuation, but like I said, thematically, these two stories felt very similar to me. So I wanted to kind of put them together. It was kind of weird to me doing the interviews back to back and have these guys. Well, you've had that stories.
2: experience a lot where you like unbeknownst to the people writing in or, or doing an actual interview where the themes for a week will be
1: yeah, very similar, very similar yeah. or
2: accounts or specific events are nearly identical.
1: Yeah, exactly. The second part of this will drop soon. I think we're not going to be on a hard and fast schedule here while we're in the quarantine. We're going to try to keep something dropping on Thursday all the time, but some other shows might appear at other times. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Darkhollerarts.com. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. We are on Facebook facebook.com slash strange familiars where you can join the strange familiars gathering group and we're on instagram at strange familiars
5: Amen.